it. Our scripture today comes from Peter's first letter, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It can be found on page 1203 in your pew Bible. That's 1203 in your pew Bible. 1 Peter 1, verse 1. And so as you turn to get there, um, there have been plenty of pastors through the years and mentors of mine and others who talk about the dangerous act of preaching. And in fact, the Bible talks about the dangerous act of preaching itself. And so I come to you today, as I do every Sunday, with a message from God's Word. We happen to be starting in 1 Peter, and we will go through 2 Peter um, before the fall as well. But preaching is a dangerous thing. Jesus says it's a dangerous thing. Paul says it's a dangerous thing. Peter says it's a dangerous thing because we are told that if I am a false teacher, I will undergo greater condemnation. And if what I tell you is not true, then I am in a great deal of trouble. And as Paul Washer said, I have every right to stand before you with fear and trembling because I am standing before God as a man condemned if I am a false teacher. I say this. I say this because over the next few months as we go through both of Peter's letters, I will tell you things that will make you so upset. But as long as I am not a false teacher, then your problem will not be with me. It will be with God and his word. So let's dive in. Peter writes, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Here ends the reading of God's word. If you would please join me in prayer. O holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the Peter that's writing these letters is, yes, the apostle Peter. Uh, Simon Peter, as we may know him throughout the New Testament. The very one on the night that Jesus is betrayed denies knowing Jesus at all. That man, I've never even heard of him. He's the same one who earlier that evening in the garden pulled the sword, willing and able to cut off a centurion's ear to defend Jesus from being arrested. He would be one later who saw him suffer and die on the cross and be a witness to his resurrection. He tells us later in chapter 5 that he is an elder and a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. 
not only an elder and a witness to it, but Jesus himself upon his resurrection and seeing Peter restores him as one of our brothers and sisters forgives the sin of denying him that night. It's Peter, the same one who in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit descends on Pentecost, burst into the street and preaches the first gospel sermon since Jesus' resurrection. And that day, 5,000 men came to Christ and many women and children were numbered with them and their numbers grew daily. That's the Peter that's writing this one, the fisherman. And when Peter writes, he writes, as we can see, not as Paul does to just the Christians in Rome or just the Christians in Corinth, Peter's writing to all the elect exiles of the dispersion, and they're in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia. Peter essentially is writing this letter to all Christians across the world. So if you are in Christ, then this letter is for you. What it contains is valuable to you. It is straight teaching from an apostle coming straight to you. And what Peter does as he writes, he writes a greeting, just as Paul writes a greeting and everybody else writes a greeting. He lets you know who he is, but then he uses three strong words to describe the audience that he's writing to. He calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. And this is important for us to understand because it's these three words that serve as the floor joist for everything he builds upon in his letters. If we don't understand fully what Peter means by elect exiles of the dispersion, we will miss everything else he has to write and to say for us. These three words build the foundation of how Peter calls us as Christians to act and to live within this world. Now, the word elect simply means and is translated to chosen. And throughout Scripture, chosen is the intimate term used by God in His Word most often to describe and to speak of those whom God loves. We can go and begin looking at the facts. We go through scripture and we can take the case of Abraham and Sarah. God chose them. We can look between their sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. God chose Isaac and not Ishmael. God chose Joseph and not his brothers. Chose David and not his brothers. The Israelites were chosen over all the other peoples in the world, over the Canaanites and the Babylonians. God chose the Israelites. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she didn't sign up and win a raffle that she entered into to become the mother of the Messiah, but God chose her to give birth to Jesus. Each one of the apostles were picked and chosen by Jesus himself. Paul was on his way to Damascus to go and persecute and kill and lock up more believers of Jesus. 
And he didn't choose to fall off his ride, but God knocked him off his ride and came to him and picked him to be one of the greatest evangelists that Christianity has ever seen. God chose him. Now, I know some of you are already getting upset. But before you turn off your ears in anger, I want you to seriously consider these facts of Scripture. That in every instance we see, it was not man who initiated seeking after God, but God who initiated seeking after man. That God is the one who always moves first. And that his grace is so great, it is irresistible. The prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 16, tells of what the Lord God told him, beginning in verse 4, of what it was like choosing the nation of Israel. He writes this, he says, And as for your birth, On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born." And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God. And you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown upon your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. And you ate fine flour and honey and oil You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. What a beautiful description of God's electing love that we find here in the prophet Ezekiel. Israel became God's chosen. They became his elect. For you see, this term elect that causes and stirs so much up within us is meant not to enrage us and disrupt us, but it is meant to comfort the church, to encourage the church. It's to remind us of God's great love. 
It's never meant to be used and waved at those who do not know God and are not in Christ. And so as Peter is writing this letter to Christians all over the world through time and history, he assures his readers who are in exile of God's steadfast love. And so as we come to understand elect and the beauty and the comfort that comes with it, despite our own desire to lay claim on us responding to God's choosing, Ultimately, it is John and the other apostles in all of Scripture that agree with Peter when John writes that we only love because he first loved us. We only love because he first loved us. God picked you before you ever considered picking him. Now, while Israel was elect, history shows that they began to presume God's good grace in their lives. They knew that they were special objects of his affection, and they believed that they would always receive his goodness. They got to a point where their, Israel's affections for God fell off, and yet still they felt entitled to the good life. So I submit to you 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, all four books in their entirety. They talk about the days of the kings of Israel, and during those days, they turned away from God. And he allowed them to go through the desires of their bellies. And they began going further and further away from God. And as a result, they were carried off into exile in Babylon. And so Peter, growing up in the house of Israel himself, knew of elect exiles of the dispersion all too well. Beloved by God, yet seemingly left alone in the world. But as we begin to examine the way Peter writes, when we look at both of his letters, Peter writes of exiles not because of our falling away from God and being placed in exile because of that, but for Peter, the exiles of the dispersion depicts the normal life of any follower of Jesus so long as they remain in this world. This is important for Peter. He considers all of us in exile. For the claim is that we are not citizens of the United States. We are not citizens of the state of Florida. We are not citizens of Duval County or Jacksonville or Jack's Beach or Ponte Vedra or Atlantic Beach or Neptune Beach. But we alone as Christians are citizens of heaven and nowhere else. That all the rest of it does not matter. That our citizenship is in heaven and we are mere exiles in this world. And so... This is important for Peter, 
that we were chosen by God and we are living in exile in a place that we do not belong. And so he goes through his letters encouraging fellow believers in Christ on what life is like while in exile. How is it we are to behave and to believe? How is it we are to gather? What are we to be cautious of? And what does life in Jesus truly look like? See, Peter's writing to men and women just like us. People who had come to faith in Christ, but remained on the outside of everything. See, we have questions, real questions in 2023. What does it look like to live out our faith in a world and a time when our own faith is counted as a negative against us? When the world no longer counts someone as being in Christ Jesus as being valuable to them? What does it look like for us to live in a world that counts us as believers in Jesus as second class? As village idiots. How could you believe in such a fairy tale of nonsense? So we have a lot in common with Peter's first readers. Because in Christ we were chosen and yet we are living our lives out in a complex and often confusing context how we navigate everything we live. And so Peter writes these first words in this introduction to the elect exiles of the dispersion so that we would take heart, so that we would be encouraged to know that, yes, while we are dispersed across the world and our citizenship remains in heaven because of Jesus Christ, we are still God's beloved. No matter what comes our way, we are still God's beloved. And for us, for us, the only way up comes by going down. That restoration only comes after trials. And that suffering always precedes subsequent glories. Just as it did for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who left his throne as king of all kings, born here with us and lived a life none of us have ever been able to live. But he wasn't given a crown of glory for that. He was hung on a cross and given a crown of thorns where his blood shed and he suffered. And he suffered at the hands of evil men. And it wouldn't be until three days later that he would be resurrected and glory would begin to shine. Our Lord and Savior knows what it is to suffer knows what it is to live in an exiled state, knows what it is to still live for his Father in heaven and his glory. 
so Peter writes to us. Peter writes for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. He says, take heart, be encouraged, and may grace and peace and comfort be multiplied to you. Amen. This morning, we are going to stand and sing. And as we stand and sing, I invite you to consider what it means for us to seek God and to seek Christ and to seek his spirit in our lives. Knowing that he has first come to us and has already chosen you, how is it that we choose to respond this day? Let us stand and sing.